You've heard the words open, fair, both sides of the story. It's easy to say them, but practicing them often seems like a bridge too far. New Zealand, it's time for a reality check. Reality check. RCR, Reality Check Radio. Rational discussion, common sense, and open debate for real. With me, Paul Brennan. You know, you just can't make this stuff up. You couldn't write the script. Veteran broadcaster Peter Williams. Where is the evidence they actually make a difference? It turns out that was a very fair question to ask. Taking on the mainstream, Chantel Baker. Mainstream media, as usual, in their little perch. The man who cares so much and whose background is for real, Rodney Hyde. The doctors don't believe them. They can't get ACC. They can't work. They're told it's all in their head. Along with a raft of contributors to inform, entertain and bring the truth back to New Zealand media. It's time for a reality check, all right. RCR, Reality Check Radio at www.realitycheck.radio. We've arrived. Rational discussion, common sense, open debate. RCR, Reality Check Radio with Rodney Hyde. Are you on Reality Check Radio with Rodney Hyde, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde? Uh, great to have you along. And let me just say, I'd love to put in a word thanking all the people behind the scenes that have made this possible. You've got no idea how much work people have done, technical people. Uh, I've had a wonderful fellow helping me get this up and running. Uh, it's been amazing, the support that we've all had. So it's lovely to be here and love to be sharing a uh, conversation with you. Now, here's something alarming, but a bit of background. Thomas Krabner, he was the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, back in the day. He led the Reformation, sorted out one of Henry VIII's wives, and when Queen Mary came to power, being a Catholic, uh, she burned him at the stake, which would have been a hell of a way to go. Um, but we have our own Thomas Krabner. Uh, and that's a pseudonym for, I believe he's a lawyer, uh, I believe it's a he, uh, and he just comes up with the most extraordinary information. Goodness knows, I think he knows what he's looking for, and he seems to dig down and get it, and he runs a substack, which is where real journalism now happens. Uh, we've picked it up and put it on our blog post, which is Brash, Bassett and Hyde, uh, if you want to read it. Uh, back in the day, like five years ago, this would have been front page news of every newspaper, it would have led the news for days, if not weeks. There'd be resignations left, right and centre. Uh, but of course... You'll only hear about this from Thomas Kremner's Substack and from Reality Check Radio. Let's see. This is what he has to say, and I'm summarizing. It's uh, a long uh, post uh, with references. So, the Pfizer vaccine was approved on the 3rd of February 2021. Our Prime Minister that day told the nation this, quote, rigorous assessment over many months. Vaccine, safe and effective, quote. The research, quote, is up to date with the science and that we can have 
confidence in the decision. So, Prime Minister tells us tells us all that the vaccine is safe and effective, that there's been a rigorous assessment, that the science is all up to date, and we can have total confidence in the decision. Of course, this was parroted by principals, CEOs, talking heads, influencers, your next-door neighbour, everyone, safe and effective, safe and effective. Just get the jab, why don't you? But here's the thing. Thomas Cranmer has got the report from MedSafe that the Prime Minister was relying on when she told the nation that the jab was safe and effective. This report says, quote, Protection is not established beyond two months. So the report that the Prime Minister had, sitting on her desks, and all her officials were reading it, said, oh, yes, you're protected, but we don't know what happens after two months. Also said this, quote, limited evidence of protection against severe disease. What? The whole point of this jab was to stop you getting severe disease. That's why we were supposed to take it, in part, to look after ourselves, to protect ourselves. Medsafe actually told the Prime Minister that they had limited evidence that it would do that. Quote, no long-term safety follow-up information. Of course there wasn't, because it was a brand new medicine. But there it is in black and white. No long-term safety follow-up information. And yet our Prime Minister told us that she had a report that said it was safe and effective. Actually, the report said there was no no long-term safety follow-up information. None. The report says this. Vaccine prevention of asymptomatic infection and disease transmission has not been established. Oh, my goodness. The entire point of the mandates, the entire point of forcing people, cajoling people to get the vaccine was to keep supposedly everyone else safe. And yet here's MedSafe advising the Prime Minister on the 3rd of February 2021, vaccine prevention of asymptomatic infection. So this jab won't protect you from being infected when you don't know it. They've already said it won't protect you from severe disease. there's little evidence to say that it will but that they also haven't established that it will stop disease transmission they didn't know didn't know if it was safe didn't know if it would protect you beyond two months had no evidence or limited evidence that it would protect you from severe disease wasn't established that it would prevent you from 
asymptomatic infection or transmitting it on. The entire logic of this jab was it'll stop you getting sick, you couldn't pass it on, end of. I don't know what you say about this. What the Prime Minister said the report said, the report didn't say. Ordinarily, when a Prime Minister misleads the public, well, it doesn't happen. But if they mislead the public about what an official report says, ordinarily there'd be hell to pay. The opposition would be up in arms, journalists would be up in arms. And I, I don't know when it's ever happened. But if it did, there'd be a resignation because that's a total loss of, loss of trust. Think on this. This isn't like a prime minister saying, oh, yes, we had a report into um, that transaction that this government department did. But no, the report says no money was lost. I've got the report in my hand. It says no money was lost. And you find out sometime later that actually the report said $2 billion was lost. And so it was a total misdirection, misleading, lie, pork pie, noble lie. wasn't the truth of what the report was. If that happened, that Prime Minister would be gone their reputation would be shredded because misled the public of New Zealand. But of course, this 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 wasn't about money. This wasn't about misleading people um, over something that would be a bit embarrassing for a government, about a cock-up. This was misleading people in the middle of a pandemic when we were tuning in to the sole source of truth, when we were being warned against misinformation and disinformation, we had the Prime Minister telling us it was safe and effective when the report said we don't know if it's safe. There's no long-term studies been done on this. We don't know that it's effective because there's no evidence that it'll protect you from severe disease, minor disease, or that it'll stop transmission. So with something that concerned each and every one of us, our health, the health of our family, community, and our country, we weren't given accurate information. Well, we were given inaccurate information to what Medsef said. Of course, we now know the vaccine wasn't effective. People get the jab, they still get COVID, they still pass it on. But tragically, we also know that that 
vaccine isn't safe. The government has acknowledged that people have been injured and that sadly people have died from the vaccine. The only argument is about how many died and how many have been injured. But as I wonder about the community, I don't know of anyone that doesn't know someone who's been injured, they believe, by the vaccine. So I think it's a lot. Don't know. No one's interested in reporting it. Doesn't get covered. In fact, if you're injured, you're abused. You've got mental problems. You're ignored. And so not only did we have a Prime Minister announcing to the nation, is it the opposite of what the report said? People died and were injured, lost their jobs, lost their houses, lost their families. And of course, it wasn't just the Prime Minister, was it? Every politician, every MP was out there saying, safe and effective, take the jab, get boosted. Had they seen the MedSafe report? Had they asked to see it? Had the Prime Minister given it to them? Principals of schools, owners of businesses, CEOs, influencers, journalists, all saying, take the jab. The New Zealand Herald ran a campaign to get people jabbed. Had they seen the MedSafe report? How did they know it was safe and effective? Because MedSafe didn't know. Specifically, they said they didn't know. They said there's no evidence. And so now, is the leader of the opposition, Christopher Luxon, going to say, gee whiz, I was misled? Is the New Zealand Herald going to provide this report? We were wrong. Where was everyone in this? Where were the institutions that are designed to protect us? Where's the accountability? Where's the transparency? Why wasn't there a demand by the journalists, by the opposition, by the courts? Where's the information? Where's the report? Why has it taken so long? And now that we have it, how come the people of New Zealand aren't being told? Are they all so embarrassed? Are they all so scared? And it's left up, left up to an anonymous substack writer to reveal what's gone on? What does it say 
about the next time we have an emergency and we expect to put our faith and our trust and our leaders whether we voted for them or not. When we've had this experience. Maybe Thomas Cranmer has got it wrong. I hope he has, actually. <laughs> I've been relying on his report. I hope he's wrong, because then I wouldn't feel so sick to my core. But I doubt he's got it wrong. I've read his substack for a while now. And if he had it wrong, he would have been blasted to bits by now. You know that, I know that. And so the Prime Minister of New Zealand told us it was safe and effective. The report that she was relying on to say that did, said no such thing. People died, people were injured, people lost their jobs and their businesses and their homes and their families. As a result... I didn't know if the jab was safe or not. And when I heard about people being injured, I thought, oh, you know, I'd be hypochondriacs. And then I went to the parliamentary protest and I met people who were so genuine, so real, who were injured. And on top of that injury, the medicine that they took because they had to to keep their job or because they took because they thought it was safe and effective and a good thing for do to society and they are injured, debilitatingly so, now they get no help. They're embarrassing. They're an embarrassment. They're shunted aside and ignored and abused. They're injured every day, and they're injured over and over and over again every day because the injury is not acknowledged. And right back then, on the 3rd of February, 2021, MedSafe provided a report to the Prime Minister saying that they didn't know about the long-term safety, had no information, didn't know if it would stop or provide protection after two months. There's no evidence it would stop severe disease and no evidence it would stop mild disease or transmission. And yet the Prime Minister said safe and effective, created two classes of citizens and abused anyone who said, explain to us why you think this is safe. When I went to the protest, I realised, having met these people, that the vaccine injuries were real. And it's the proudest thing of my life, outside of my family and personal things like that, that I was part of the river of filth. 
because I don't know how you sleep at night if you tell people something safe and effective. Then you're sitting on the report from the officials that says they don't know. There's no evidence for that. We're going to tease this out, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be talking about this. We're going to be talking to the vaccine injured. We're going to get to the bottom of this because Thomas Cramner and others are slowly, bit by bit, bringing the transparency and the sunlight to the darkest recesses of what's gone on here. And with transparency, there will be accountability. And that's why you listening to Real Talk, Rodney Hyde, and Reality Check Radio, because we're not scared to go where the truth takes us, and we're not scared to ask questions that need to be asked. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being part of this great family and this enterprise. Thank you. People are struggling to have conversations and connect with others that they don't completely agree with on every topic. And I think that's probably the biggest problem that we need to try and solve is how after all this division and after all the separation, do we end up bringing people together again? And what does unity really look like? New Zealand faces some pretty big issues. First one is COVID in the aftermath. There's no getting away from that. Second is racial division. It's been ginned up and it's dangerous. Another issue that maybe people haven't got their head around yet is digital currency. What form does that take? Is it programmable? Will it be used to manipulate behavior and patterns of behavior? Those questions need to be asked and answered. How can you have fair, open, democratic government by people who are appointed? It's a ridiculous idea. And if that idea is taken to its zenith, then this country is in real trouble because democracy, one person, one vote, where every vote is of equal value, has got to be the foundation of a modern New Zealand. What's true, what's not true, how our kids are to be educated. And, you know, I have a great fear for the future. I think we know from history where this could end up. Rational discussion, common sense, open debate. RCR, Reality Check Radio with Rodney Hyde. You're listening to Reality Check Radio. It's Rodney Hyde with Real Talk. Uh, For my very, very first interview, we're talking to one man. He's a fighter. He's a man of faith. He's a man of family. He's a man of great values, and he's a man of the community. And I'm talking to Mr. Steve Oliver, who's got a gym, Oliver MMA. And the reason I've got him on is because Steve Oliver refused to close his gym, refused to have vaccine mandates, and anyone could come to his gym. For that, he has been hounded by WorkSafe, by the police, He's got court appearances. He's potentially being fined thousands of dollars. He's potentially going to jail. And why did he keep his gym open? 
because his community needed him. He looks after a lot of young people. He has done for many, many years. He's well known for doing this. Takes them in. Kids that have been abandoned by everyone. Family, their community, government departments. But not by Steve Oliver. Not by his wife Chrissy. Not by his Jim. And Steve Oliver wouldn't close his gym because he thought it was wrong. We're listening to a very brave man, a man who is a fighter, a man who has got faith, and a man brave enough to stand up where no one else would. Well, I'm very excited uh, today because this is my very first uh, interview of RCR, Reality Check Radio, where we're going to have common sense, we're going to have rational discussion, we're going to have open debate, and oh my goodness, how long have we been waiting for that? (laughs) And it's a huge privilege for me to have as my very first guest and interview is Steve Oliver, who is amazing to me and someone I very much look up to. And Steve, when I think of you, I think of you as a fighter and as a man of faith. Would that be fair? Thanks for your kind words, brother. And uh, yeah, it's a privilege to be on here, mate. It's an exciting time. I think uh, I think the people are well, uh, you know, well overdue for a bit of reality and a bit of yeah, open debate. It's going to be exciting, man. And it's uh, yeah, it is long overdue, yeah. but. Uh, yeah, I mean, mate, I'm just, we just run a business, family business. and um, But you're a fighter, right? You, you, you have always, you are, and I know you're modest, but, like, you're an amazing fighter across many codes. Just tell us about the codes in which you can fight. Yeah, I mean, uh, just I was brought up uh, in the gym. My father was an uh, Olympic lifter. And uh, he was very focused, you know, he's a very driven man. And uh, he basically from, you know, from the time I was very young, I was, we, we lived on site. We lived at a, just behind a gym. So the gym was really where I grew up. And, um, you know, I'd have to go to bed, you know, I had to come home and, and go to bed, but I'd be in the gym, on the gym floor, you know, the rest of my life, you know what I mean? So it's, you were wrestling, boxing, yeah, lifting? Yeah, it was weights. Originally it was weights, but I was exposed to a lot of codes. I was exposed to all the, you know, uh, great wrestlers. Uh, the Rainsfields just lived up the road from us, Olympic-level uh, wrestlers. And, uh, yeah, we were, you know, we had the um, the, the uh, New Zealand uh, weightlifting team. Dad was the coach of that for a while. And, uh, yeah, I was just exposed to great, great role models as far as sports go and, you know, it's just luck, really. I, there was no program. I mean, the kids these days are just so blessed to have a, such a great program yeah. to come through, and a, you know, you know, a process where they just get uh, looked after and and brought through the ranks. You know, um, but I was just left on the gym floor, and it was just, you know, I was just blessed to be exposed to great men, and um, and and, and uh, Dad was always a man of faith as well, and uh, just said, uh, "You stick with the fighting, and then I'll get to the faith," because I think yeah. this is a very much an insight into who you are, the fighting. You took jiu-jitsu and you're accomplished at jiu-jitsu at a very high level. Well, I wrestled from a young age. That's the same path my father took. I mean, he wrestled and, uh, you know, was uh, excelled. He'd done a bit of 
uh, judo as well. I, I remember his old uniform was uh, looked like it had been washed in cement. You know what I mean? And it was just <laughs> like a big <laughs> old school uh, old school uniform that I remember in his wardrobe. But um, yeah, he, he uh, you know I wrestled, he started wrestling, and then because he was successful at wrestling, he wanted to get strong, and then took to the weights, and that he just excelled at weights and and uh, really uh, took on the lifting. But uh, I wrestled as a as a kid. You know, Dad got me in a, a, a wrestling program from about uh, 10 years old, I suppose, and uh, I used to get sent down. We got another another gym in Wellington, and uh, I used to get sent down there on the train in the school holidays, and uh, we used to wrestle full-time. That, uh, it was, you know, the Hinsons down in uh, Wellington were a national uh, stronghold for wrestling. And these guys, their dad was, you know, very hard on them. And there was two boys there, Yuri and Eugene. And, uh, I got on well with the boys and, uh, yeah, these guys would have to clean, uh, they'd open up, you know, do the cleaning routes of the shopping malls and that at, uh, you know, four, three or four AM. And then they'd come home and they'd wrestle just amongst themselves for a couple of hours. Then they'd go to school and, do school, then come home and wrestle, mate. And these guys were, uh, I don't think Eugene ever, ever lost as a wrestler. And wow. I think uh, Yuri went to the Worlds uh, as a junior and, and placed. So they were very good wrestlers. And their specialty was suplex. So uh, they'd just go in and just, I don't know if you know what suplex is, but they'd just go belly to belly and pick them up and just basically do a backward somersault with these guys, you know, and they're, they're experts at that. So, um, Basically, they'd walk on the mat, and the tournaments would ban suplexes as soon as these guys turned up. They were just absolute, you know, brutal on the suplex. So it was a it was a great time. I'd go down there and train, and then and then I started getting into the weights. I was, uh, you know, I was just like I said, left in the gym, and then I started to mature uh, and started to get strong. So I started to um, jump into the weights and uh, excelled at that, and then started taking up. I done a little bit of Olympic lifting, but then I took up uh, powerlifting, mm. and I uh, went to two or three world championships. I placed. I took a uh, second biggest bench press in the world, and uh, placed third overall. So uh, I think it's ninety two, uh, ninety two or ninety three. Wow! And, uh, I didn't know that. So then uh, I got, you know, then my father died, and uh, I just really just. Uh, disappeared into the weights and um, got, you know, I got, I'm asthmatic, so I got unhealthily big. I got up to about 145 kilos and uh, the asthma was really kicking in. So I knew it was, uh, you know, just, uh, I just knew it wasn't the right thing for my health. So I just decided because I'd been training so hard for so long, I just wanted to take up a hobby. And uh, I'd seen just, I'd just recently seen, um, the Gracies, uh, I think it was, um, uh, one of the older boys, he, uh, he fought and he, he it, what I liked about it was, was wrestling and boxing. You know, I, my grandfather was a boxing coach, so we'd always played around in the garage at his house and he'd come over and just teach us some basics on the, on the boxing, the old school style, <clears throat> but still a lot of that stuff I still teach in class. So good fundamental basic stuff, but I just like the way that the Gracie's, you know, combined it with the MMA, you know, the, uh, yeah. belly Tudo at the time. So I seen that and I just thought, man, that, that jujitsu is just unbelievable. So I, um, 
looked around and there was no Brazilians in New Zealand at the time, but just happens that a Brazilian was moving into the country uh, within weeks of me looking around. So uh, I started training with uh, Lindolfo Collar, a black belt from Hicks and Gracie, and uh, I was with him for a year. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, the idea was I just wanted to have a hobby because I'd burnt out on the weights for so long, so many years. And, uh, you know, then I got choked or I got tapped out and then, you know, that, that idea quickly dissipated and uh, I turned into, you know, turned into twice a week, turned into twice a day. And, uh, <laughs> and I, uh, that sounds like you, Steve. Uh, yeah, I just didn't enjoy that. You know, I just didn't enjoy losing. So I just, it, it really got me to jujitsu. And, um, and then he left about a year later, Lindolfo left the country and, I just asked him, well, where do we go? You know, and I was just with my father passing. I was at a bit of a, a bit of a loose end, you know, at, at stage in my life. And uh, he said, well, if you want to train with the best, you know, this is before the internet. So uh, he said, go to LA and I'll hook you up with my coach, Lindolf, uh, uh, Hicks and Gracie. So, and just for listeners who don't know, Hicks and Gracie is like. Numero uno in the in the jiu-jitsu world, right? They had the two boys. There was Carlson Gracie and Helio Gracie. They were the two great founders of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, if you like. They had 23 sons between them. And Hickson was the best fighter of them all, which yeah. means the best fighter in the world. Yeah, he was the champion of the family. And, uh, no, it was great, mate, you know. Um, well, well and, and, and so how long did you train in L.A.? I was here for 10 years off and on. That's amazing. Yeah, I went over there and, uh, you know, Lindolfo said he'd make a phone call, but when I turned up, no one had made any phone call. So I was just, you know, just turned up out of the blue and I rolled and I rolled with a Asian-looking guy. I just thought he's quite – he wasn't big at all. And uh, I just thought oh, I'll have a play with this guy. And he, um, you know, and I was probably 125 kilos at the time, and he popped one arm, and I just thought, oh, and then the adrenaline kicked in, and I just thought, oh, well, that must have been a fluke, you know. So I went again, and he popped the other arm. So I sat out for about six weeks with both my arms pretty substantially uh, destroyed, and then uh, just he just kept turning up. And uh, everyone thought that I was an undercover cop when I first turned up. You know, I had short hair, and I was, you know, de- decent build. And The reason I, the reason I talk about this, because as you know, and I, I'll get onto this, you just run a great – competition in New Zealand and my kids my kids have done jiu-jitsu now nearly three years and they love it and I absolutely love it and what I've noted about it Steve it's not about the fighting it's about the mind and the mental ability and what I've noticed with my kids is the first thing they have to learn is to learn what it's like to be very uncomfortable Mm. and it's extraordinary because that's not something that we have these days and if you're doing jiu-jitsu or wrestling or boxing, you actually, you're actually in a fight and you get very, very uncomfortable, don't you? Yeah. And, I mean, Even more so with the submission art, to be honest. You know, yes. like, like striking, you know, if you're feeling the heat, you can, you know, you can step off and give yourself a bit of space, get outside of distance. But with a submission, you know, like wrestling or, or, or uh, jiu-jitsu, if you're feeling uncomfortable, there's just no way of exiting that situation until you've earned it, you know. And, yes. uh, and, and that's what they learn, isn't it? They learn yeah. to endure discomfort, yeah. Yeah. figure out what's going on, 
breathe, yeah. figure out what you can do, and then problem solve. It's extraordinary yeah. skills for anyone to learn. Oh, just for life. You know what I mean? That, life. That and and that problem. relates to, so when I said you're a fighter, it's that idea of that incredible resilience that someone who's been through, as you say, a submission martial arts has been through, so that when life throws them a curved ball, you don't just tap and say, I give in. Mm. Yeah, well, okay. It was a, a bit of a different time back then. I mean, you know, if, if I tapped just through pressure or, or someone just lying on me, you know, I wouldn't be welcome in the club. I, no. I, you know, I wouldn't have been welcomed back. People would have known that, hey, this guy's a quitter. And it no. just I just wouldn't have survived in the, in the team environment. So, and there was no none of this, you know. No. And I was asthmatic. I'm, I was seriously asthmatic when I first started. I was right from a child. I had asthma and had pneumonia numerous times, you know. And I was over, over you know, I was muscled, but I was overweight. So my lung capacity was terrible. Mm. But, um you know, that was a blessing. It ended up being a blessing for me because I was so strong at the time. If I hadn't have had asthma, I would have just used muscle and pushed people around. Yes. But the thing was I was asthmatic, so I'd push people around for two minutes, and then I was actually as weak as a kitten. So I had to learn how to fight technically because I didn't have the horsepower for extended amounts of time, and that's one of the biggest pieces of advice I give guys, you know, you get a lot of guys now that do CrossFit and they're strong and they, you know, they come from rugby and all that. The best thing you can do if you want to learn technique is just train tired. You got to train, you got to go and do your, your, your conditioning first and then go and roll. Yeah. Otherwise you're just going to, it just, it's instinct is to explode, yeah. especially when you've been taught to explode through, <clears throat> you know, the way well, for, for those uh, people listening, um, if you have any opportunity um, for your children or your grandchildren and you want to give them some resilience, um, there is nothing, nothing comes close to jujitsu. And funny enough, we got a lot of resilience just growing up because we lived in a world where you could, you'd wrestle after school just, you know, at the park and you'd ride your bikes and um, you just, you'd play rugby, which was quite rough in those days, not in a bad way, but in a boy way. And, and same for the girls. And we sort of grew up climbing trees and you look at kids these days, they don't have that. And so you can make up for it in an amazing way. And I keep telling people this from what my observation is, it's not about the fighting. It's not about the sort of being a he-man. It is actually about your mind being uncomfortable. So I can be uncomfortable. I've been uncomfortable before. I can solve this. And then to problem solve it. We took the kids um, to walk the Milford and my youngest is eight. Yeah. And it was amazing to me because I expected them to complain. You got wet, you got cold, you got tired, you had a pack on your back, and they never did. And I yeah. put it entirely down to the jiu-jitsu yeah. because I'd learned discomfort. Yeah, 100%. Resilience is the key ingredient. Resilience is the key. And resilience, and it is a big, it's a balancer for the kids. You know, you get kids coming in that are ADD and they're an absolute nightmare. Uh, and you get kids coming in that are so shy they can't even look me in the eye. So yeah. what it does with the kids that you know are shy, it brings them up because they learn that man, I'm not going to die if if someone that uh, you know uh, if I'm rolling around, I'm going to survive, and I'm going to and I might even have a 
a hope of getting a, a good position. You know what I mean? Yes. So, I um, have just read Hicks and Gracie's book, Grieve, your mentor's book, Grieve, which is written as an older Hicks and Grace, Gracie. And I so loved it. And his message for me there was that jujitsu is really, I wouldn't say for the weak kid, but for the non-sporty kid. Yeah. For, for It's not... You know, you you go along to soccer or rugby and there's two or three kids who excel and they get the ball and they have a great game and everyone else is just sort of passing the ball to them. And what I've loved about jiu-jitsu is everyone gets involved yeah. and the funny thing is it's the non-sporty kids that get the most out of it. Yeah. They're yeah. the ones that um, develop. And I, I the, at the club we go to, there was a, a couple of boys turned up and I felt like saying to their mother after six months, not knowing anything, I felt like saying, have you thought about the violin? Because yeah. these guys had no physicality about them. They had no proprioception. They had no strength. They had no, no, no natural ability. They struggled. They didn't particularly like it. Two years later, you can't recognize these boys. <laughs> and they are amazing. Yeah. They are amazing. Yeah. And it brings tears to my eyes to watch them and remember what they came to that gym like. You know, they could, you know, they, um, so it's wonderful. Now tell me this, that's, that's your, this is important to me, Steve, because it relates to what we're going to talk about today. Uh, the fact that you're a fighter, the fact that you know okay. about being uncomfortable, the fact that you've learned resilience your whole life. Uh, you're mentally very strong. It's not the physical strength that matters as much in what's coming up as your mental strength. And you're also, I hope you don't mind me asking and talking about, you're also a man of faith. Yes. Yeah. So you're a believer. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, I was brought up in a, a believing family, but, you know, I mean, uh, also it was a bit of a conflict of interest with the sporting type of uh, lifestyle because you've got to believe in yourself as a as a yes. athlete. You know, and it did conflict with me. I thought I was King Kong, you know, and yes. I, really, <clears throat> I did. I was very arrogant, honestly, as a lifter. And um, just just the jujitsu was a just an unbelievable process of being humbled over years. And I mean, you know, I went to Hickson's Club, and there was no, there was you know, no timeouts and no, you know, just. You, you train until it's done. You know what I mean? And yeah. we're training with Olympic champions, training with absolute beasts. And like I said, I was asthmatic, so I had a real, <clears throat> a hell of a time for a long time. And, uh, but, you know, it just does really humble you. And, uh, it, it, you know, it's just a, 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 a you're just going through life. I got uh, just experiences have just led me back to the, to the truth of what my father believed. And, uh, and, and to be honest, as a sportsman, I had, <clears throat> I had sportsmen as role models, and uh, then over my years, I got exposed to the to the best of the best. You know, we were in Pride and UFC, and you know, the top of the echelon, and 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 lifting. And I seen all these guys that were, you know, my role models growing up, and I just it was a disappointment to be honest. You know, these guys were phenomenal at a specific skill set, but if you have a look at their life in general, it's an absolute mess. <clears throat> You know, yes. One of the terrible things that can happen to you is you meet your role model. Yeah, yeah, and that, and, and that just, you know, I was in sport for a long time, and uh, you know, just one after another, I just seen these guys that were supposed to be 
you know, have, have, the, tree. have the answers, you know, have, have life's answers, and I just didn't. So because just, when, uh, when you're a person of faith, Steve, mm. you answer to a higher authority than the government. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, you know, you just put government in its appropriate place, and, I mean, it's, uh, you know, government's there to, should be like councillors to help us, to help us live, you know, to support the people, but it's... Uh, you know, it's pretty obvious that that's not there, not there. Uh... Okay. Let me now go to the issue of this interview because, but, oh, by the way, I should also say, and we saw your little girl, you're also a family man and you're also an amazing community guy because you've built through your gym. It's, I, I've been to your gym. My kids have trained at your gym. I've been to your competition league. I have to say, Steve, I've never seen anything like it because it is, it's not a gym, it's not a business, and yet it's those two things. You have created an amazing community. Yeah, I mean, I think I think sports are great. You know, it just should be all, all together, all encompassing, a family that has supports each other and helps each other uh, achieve their goals and dreams. You know what I mean? This is, uh... Well, it's, it's, it's the most astonishing thing to me to go along to a competition where kids and adults all competing. You, I, I think that one I went to in Auckland, gosh, how many, how many did you have at the, those nationals that we competed in? I think, many... I think it was over 800 athletes, yeah. 800 athletes, and I mean – my wife had her Fitbit watch on, and she was she's an athlete. She's very fit. Her, her heart never went below a hundred because of the adrenaline the whole yeah, day. Yeah. She was just it was just it was just the best day of my life. It was just pumping. Yeah. And but here were these men and women, boys and girls, all fighting and competing on the mat. And off the mat, you couldn't have met warmer more caring, more loving. You just felt a great sense of community being in your competition. Yeah, that's yeah, I mean, you know, it's jujitsu, right? So it's just a great, beautiful art, you know. And it's it a is. contradiction though, isn't it? Because yeah. you expect everyone to turn up and be this ego-driven maniac where they are the bomb, and it's not. Yeah, I mean, you do get the odd one, but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you who that is. It's the people that are trying to um, put forward this image of being tough, and it's always the white or blue belts. It's never the blacks. You know, that's the funny thing is you see these guys walking around sometimes, you get get the odd one walking around like he's King Kong, but he's guaranteed to be a white or, or, or Bluebell, and then you see the guys up in the stands with their families with a picnic lunch, and that's the that's the that's the guy that's King Kong. Yeah, that's and there's no you uh, you have a first, you have a second, you have a third, and then you have someone that didn't place. But there's no there's no shame. There's no I bet you, uh, and that starts from a very very young age. And I have never walked into an event. Where you actually felt not a not a competition, but a community amongst which you were 
blessed to be a competitor. Yeah. yeah. No, it's wonderful. So my point is, you're a fighter, you're a man of faith, you've got you're a man, you're a family man, you've built this uh, and a part of this wonderful community. And then we come to the government saying you have to shut your business because of this pandemic. What went through your head? Well, I mean, you know, it just the, the, the news seemed to be getting tighter and tighter, you know. They seemed to be, oh, you know, we're never going to mandate it. You know, we all knew that they were going to mandate it. You know, they can't, you know, they can't uh, maximise sales of a product unless they mandate it. So we all knew, but they were saying they would never do it. And then it came to, oh, we're going to mandate it. And then they came to saying, you know, I never listened to the, the, the to be honest, the news updates used to make me physically sick listening to the, the, Same. the, to the level of segregation and, and everything. And then they came, I didn't listen to many, but I listened to one and she said, listen, you're not going to be able to open a gym now without being vaccinated. And I, honestly, it's the first time in my life I've felt physically sick just listening to something, you know. So, uh, you know, I was almost a little bit in shock, you know, and uh, then it's sort of like you're just trying to process it. And it's just pretty immediate that it was just like, well, these guys have got an issue now because, you know, there's no way that uh, I'm going to stop, uh, you know, and close the gym and, and stop being a part of a community that we've built. And we, we their whole business model is, is community and supporting community. And there's kids out there that have been kicked out of there. You know, it's just disgusting that they made it from 12 to 13 years old because this is when they're establishing their, their friend networks, their their sports mean a lot to them. But just who they are, their identity as a whole is really is quite under pressure at around that age, you know. And uh, to put the pressure on these kids was disgusting. So I just – there was a lot of kids coming to our gym that were – really feeling it that, you know, and, and some of these kids, no matter whether it was their choice or not, some of these kids couldn't have vaccines because they had health, existing health issues. But that's how much the government cared about us. You couldn't get an a, a, a exemption. doesn't matter if you're anaphylactic, you know. Hey, you guys better, better take a jab because we care about you. But, hey, you better care. You better take it even if you're, your life's at risk. You know what I mean? Like, oh, but what? Be kind, was it? Be kind, but take it. Even if we know that that potentially could kill you, you better take it because you're not getting an exemption. So, and you uh, you have you have kids at your gym and over the years that don't have much in their life, and you've given them something. Yeah, well, we've got a history of you know. I mean, we, we're in West Auckland; it's nothing special, but there is you know there is a need out there, and uh, jujitsu does you know, like you're saying before, it's uh, the kids that don't fit in every, anywhere else is the is where the, those kids seem to excel in, in jujitsu. So, uh, are know. you able to share with us about the young boy you took in and how well he's done? Yeah, well, we've taken. <laughs> We got a we got a whole uh, list of guys that we've had in, uh, living in the house, you know. what I mean, and um, we've had uh, yeah, I mean, numerous guys come through here. One of the guys that was uh, standout up to date is uh, JJ Wilson. You know, the kid uh, was homeless, leg- legitimately homeless out west, and uh, no home. 
No, no home. We was just around sleeping at mates' houses and out in the out, out in the elements. And uh, he was in with a bad crew, you know. And uh, one of his friends said, "Hey, I want to go to Oliver's to do a free free class. You know, would you come with me?" And Jay's like, "Nah, I'm not into it." You know. So he says, oh, "I'll buy you a bag of lollies if you come with me." So uh, Jay's like, "Okay." How old was he? About? Oh, it must be thirteen. Thirteen, yeah. And uh, so they came along and uh, they done the class. And then uh, the other kid uh, stayed a little bit of time, but he disappeared pretty smartly back out into the, out into the darkness. But Jay, you know, he just hung around and, uh, you know, he didn't have a place to stay. So we put him up in the, um, he's with us for a bit. And then he's up in the attic at the gym. You know, we just got a big, top floor there so we put him upstairs and so he's living at the gym for, for a long time and uh, yeah, he just developed nicely and you know he had a little bit of you know he had a lot of natural ability and and uh, he's just consistent and then started to develop a work ethic and discipline around turning up and around his eating habits and training and yeah, he just matured nicely and then uh, you know I thought I'd give him a opportunity overseas so we put him over to Australia and he done well and uh, yeah then uh, I had you know just through the years of uh, spending overseas in this and he's life. now was a professional fighter yeah a Christian man and he's now got his own family yeah he's married over in uh, he's married over in, um, in he's, he was in San Diego now he's moved to Miami with the American top team. So he's doing, he's in Bellator. He's doing a great job, mate. He's, uh, yeah, we'll just see what the future holds for him. I mean, it's. Uh, How old is he now? Must be, he must be 25. Steve, um, just to do that one thing once in your life is amazing. And I know you've done it over and over and over with kids. And that's part of your faith, family, community fighter um but when when people were looking to shut people out of your gym that wasn't like being shut out of having a coffee was it that was the purpose of life for people yeah yeah i mean it's 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 it's, it's your it's your family it's your purpose it's uh your ambitions your dreams everything you know what i mean and these kids were getting kicked out of their you know sports Sports. So you refused. You refused to follow the government order. Yeah, it's disgusting. Sports telling kids they've got to take a needle, they can't train. What? The... <laughs> Absolutely disgusting, mate. You know what I mean? They, they you... still shame themselves. And, and the, the embarrassing thing is, this has all turned out to be a farce. It's all it turned has. out to be a farce. Everyone knows the shit was a flu. <laughs> but the embarrassing thing is, these cowards, if the MSN came back over tomorrow with another news brief, I don't know what it would be. It'd be what, you know, we've got to ban redheads or, you know, I don't know, you know, pick pick a demographic. You know, these guys would jump on board and, and support it and and preach it from the rooftops, you know. They're just, it's got no mana. These guys are just fucking, it's a joke to me. I, I, I looked at it and it was astonishing to me because it seemed to me you were actually picking up kids that everyone sipping lattes in Wellington thinks that 
government picks them up and looks after them. And you and I know that doesn't happen. And they talk about being kind and child poverty and caring for kids. You were actually the one doing it in your area, in your community. And not just that, every kid, you know, kids with mums and dads go to your gym and they get so much out of it. And I can't imagine what would happen to those children if you had shut or not let them in. Well, it's mental. You know, a lot of anguish mentally for these kids. You know, they're young. So you were doing everything right, and this is why I think the faith is important, because we're not going to decide whether we're good or bad by what government says. We're going to look to our own morality and to our own belief and make our judgments. You made your judgment. You're staying open. And for that, you get hounded. Oh, by the way, before I get into that, did you ever think that you might be killing Nana by staying open? This is the thing. We're all adults. We're all big boys. We've been around the block. You know, I, I, I know, you know, I've had my ear to the ground with community my whole life. I've been in the community. I've been a sportsman. I know my own body. I know, I know the environment. And, you know, for government to come over the top of me and tell me that they know best, these guys that have, uh, you know, it's flat, flat whites and, and muffins, you know, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, so-called health experts telling me what they, that they know better than me what's good for me and my family. You know, if, if I'm not stupid. If, if people were dying on the streets, legitimately yes. dying on the streets, I would have done the sums in my head and gone, you know what, this mystery mix, you know, it's a bloody uh, experiment. Maybe it's worthwhile because the, there is actually people dying on the streets and, yes. and, you know, there might be some fallout from the from the, from the, the, the uh, product that they're uh, pushing. But it's worthwhile because I've got to do I've got to do my sums, you know. There's guys right. dying on the streets, but I'm, you know this this vaccine is a is a gamble. But it's, it's for me personally, it's worth the risk. But mate, this was an absolute joke. From and, the and 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 so you didn't in the back of it. You you never you never doubted yourself. Well, I, you know, it was a process. I mean, I've seen all these guys dying on, on uh, social media in, in China, right? People with hazmat suits running around picking these guys up that were just dropping dead, you know? So I, I, I thought, here we go. The, 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 you know, there's something being uh, released or, or, or there's something out there that's actually legitimate. Thanks. So the first lockdown I did, I, I, I just like everyone, bunkered down with my family because you we're – you know, we're thinking adults, so you just see, you just make analysis of what you've seen, and you just go, okay, here it comes. But then, you know, I just it just took me, you know, maybe three or four weeks of it being around, and people went, oh, I took, you know, and I've got a network overseas, you know, through Europe and the states, made a couple of phone calls, and everyone was saying, it's nothing. This thing's not Amazing. nothing. We made out to. Be. So then you get, well, what happens because. The government somehow, I think you might have been in the media because the media were looking for bad people who were not obeying the regulations to make examples of. Would that be fair? Yeah. They want a poster boy. You know, they want someone to turn all their, their, their you know, their, 
uh, anger because everyone's frustrated at, at being locked down. They want something. And you became that poster boy. Well, I, I, to be honest, mate, when I was at home and I heard the news brief and I just, well, I don't know, the world's gone actually fucking mad. That's what I thought. I, I just felt like the whole world had just caved in and I was the only one in the world that was thinking straight. I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> that was like me. Yeah. I, I was like, I can't believe this shit. You know what I mean? No. Like, I can't believe people are bending over like this. We, we're, no. These people's bloody just common sense. So I was just like, well, we've got a problem. We got a well, I haven't got a problem. The government's got a problem because I'm not doing that. I'm just fucking not doing it, man. I, I got people that rely on me. And uh from my analysis, I've seen what's going on outside. On the mainstream news, it may as well be a Shortland Street episode. Yes. The amount of reality it had to my life. Oh, there's seven million people are dying, you know, today and, and what a load of bullshit. Yeah. So you stayed life. open. Yeah. You stayed open. Kids kept coming. Did you have anyone in your community that said, oh, Steve, you're making a terrible mistake? Yeah, of course we did. There were people running around scared of their shitter. Yeah. Double masked. And, you know, we, we had a uh, we had a testing centre just around. And honestly, like New Lynn, you know, we're three buildings down from New Lynn depot, uh, uh, bus depot. So we're right there, right in New Lynn. And there was a testing station right next to the bus depot. Mate, you see the cars. These guys are parked. These guys are camped out. And I just couldn't understand, get it through my head. What was the motivation? Are they getting paid? Are they getting paid to get tested? I don't get it. What are they sitting in the cars for four hours at a time by themselves, double masked up, waiting to get poked, uh, getting tested and get poked up with this mystery mix? Yeah, you know, I, I just couldn't understand it. It's the fear. It's the fear, man. Honestly. like. And the then the government came. Yeah, you know. Uh, Oh, it was it um, uh, worksafe? You know, this is the this is the this is the entity that you're supposed to go to if there's uh, bullying in the workplace, <laughs> right? So these clowns come down, uh, all masked up, you know, looking like they've never had a vitamin in their lives or seen a ray of sunshine. Well, and, lifted weight. Oh, it wouldn't have done a burpee. You know, <laughs> they come in, you know, with all wide eyes, you know, just uh, telling me that I'm a criminal. You know, I just said, do you guys, how do you live with yourselves, mate? You know, how do you live with yourselves going around making me out to be some sort of, uh, <clears throat> you know, blight on society when you can see no one's got COVID here everyone's healthy? Where's the COVID, dude? Like you talk, you're telling me over uh, mainstream that there's people dying on the streets. Where is it? Show me one. Show me one or show me anyone that's even close to being sick. You know, I mean, guys that get the COVID, they get a, give it, you know, it's a couple of bad days and it's over. I mean, and, we've uh, all had it. A couple of days and you're fine. Yeah, yeah, they're admitting to this now. So, I mean, we, we were just doing the sums, what was happening, really happening in society. And, and, were they aggressive? No. Nah. No, they were trying to do their job. I, I, honestly, the, the, their, just their body language was they were uh, just doing their job. You've had the police turn yeah. up? Uh, had the police turn up? Uh, yeah, police have turned up a couple of times. And what did they have to say? Oh, I just, I told them, I just punched straight and I just said, mate, look what we're doing. You guys are trying to call me a, a criminal for having kids in here that are at home with depression, serious depression, and what, we all got to lock up and not talk to each other. It's absolute bullshit, mate. I don't know how you guys are spoiling this shit. 
and they were sympathetic. Most of the cops that came through were sympathetic. I'll be, on, uh, I'll be honest. They were like, "Dude, we're just doing our job. We've been told to come down here. We're just ticking a box, you know." And of but, course, they'd know you. Uh, they'd know you. Yeah, I, 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 I'm. Always, I mean, you're very prominent in the community, and you're very respected. Place, always, we got a lot of cops that come through the gym. That uh, you yeah. know. So but, then, what happened? But their, jobs, open? their jobs changed, hasn't it? I mean, they were never a, uh, a political henchman. You know, they've no. never been political henchmen. Now, all of a sudden, they're, they're enforcing a, a political party's narrative. You know, I mean, it just it's changed. All of a sudden, the police is. Uh, you know, job description has changed in the last couple of years, you know. And, it's and the, poli- the police in West Auckland know you're looking after kids that otherwise they'd have to be arresting. Yeah. That's an extraordinary thing. Well, you know, look what's going on now. Now you've got ram raids left, right and centre. You yeah. know, these kids, have got, these kids have had the strip. You know, even guys that oh, we've had, had a massive hit through the team just of people reevaluating their lives and going, fuck. You know, sport doesn't matter to me anymore. You know, and moving out of Auckland and moving to Aussie. I mean, it's a massive exit of Kiwis off to Aussie right now. You know. So they charged you? Yeah. Yeah, they find us. I think up, I can't remember what the number is now. I don't allocate, I'll be honest, or I don't allocate really much energy to it. We've got a good on you. That's into it. And I know we had an appearance a couple of weeks ago, and I know we're looking, they're looking to get us. A three-day trial at some stage later on in the year, but and what? this is a three-day trial with all that entails, all the cost, all the expense. Um, is it a criminal trial? Do you know? Yes, it is a criminal trial. So there'll be a jury. We had, yeah, we've got the option of a jury or just going straight to the judge. So it's up yeah, to the team to decide what what they think is better. But... And so you've got a team of lawyers helping you, and then all this is because. You basically kept your gym open for your community and for people who, well, I know what it's like that going to the gym for kids because my kids miss it. Yeah. And it's a big part of their day and routine and an outlet and their friends. But you have another thing. You're looking after kids that, Sadly, I know some of these kids. No one else is looking after. Yeah, all I did was done a calculation around my, you know, assessment of the community, which I'm heavily entrenched in. And it just didn't add up, and it didn't add up from very early on, you know. And I just, I just did what I thought was best for our community. I, I, you know, mate, I'm not. Well, and and what. But at, at the time, at the time, it was hysterical. Yeah, yeah, people. It was hysterical. And, of course, now it looks silly in hindsight, right? I was, mate, we're getting hate, you know, like, you know, I, th- I hope you and your, your kids die of COVID and all this sort of mess. You know what I mean? It's, um, but at the same time, Rodney, I like, you know, like I said, at, uh, at the initial uh, outset, I thought the whole world had gone fucking nuts and I was in some sort of, uh, some sort of movie. You know what I mean? Yes. And, I, and we were going to go down, and I th- I had no doubts that we were going down. But I knew that, you know, my father's been dead 25 years. My mum just passed through COVID. 
and she was still alive at the time. And I knew that I had their blessing. And, and if we'd gone down, if we'd burnt the business to the ground over this issue, they'd be proud of it. Yes. So, well, uh, can I tell you from me watching you? Because I felt very alone with my family. I thought the world had gone mad. Everyone around me seemed to have gone mad. People that whose judgment I'd always trusted yeah. seemed to me to be off the deep end. Um, I, I, I was too scared to speak out because I thought um, the hysteria is at a level that is... It's impressive, wasn't it? Oh, well, I mean, um, I, I remember two things. One was I took the kids down in one of the lockdowns to the local park and we were kicking the ball and just having a break, kicking the ball. And the curtain started twitching because apparently we'd been there too long. And it was just us in the park. We were going going around the parks ripping off the yellow tape. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the kids are looking at their They're looking at their swing and their slides and they're yellow taped off as a hazard and they're they're asking you what's going on. And then... We thought we'd better go home because we, we literally thought, my wife and I thought, the neighbours are going to call the cops. Yeah. Yeah. And so we thought we'd better go home. And my little boy, who was then probably six, he goes running off. And, oh, my goodness, he ran too close to a lady who was walking her dog. Yeah. And this lady ripped this little kid a new backside, screaming at him that he'd come too close. Yeah, and, and you're thinking, this is inhumane. And then, of course, my wife goes to defend her little boy, and so she ends up, my, I've never seen anyone get upset before. My wife screaming at this lady, don't you talk to my son like that? And it was all because she'd broken, I don't know, the six-metre rule or the two-metre rule or whatever. Little wee boy running out in the open air, having uh, fun. Wasn't it, a, wasn't it an absolute disgusting time in our country's history? Well, then I saw you in the media, Steve. And I got you got no idea what it meant because I realized we weren't the only ones that thought this was mad. The thing that I admired about you, you were brave enough to stand up publicly and in your community and now your 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 flag to the mast. I didn't have that level of bravery. I understand you now because you're a fighter, you're a man of faith, you're big in the community. I didn't have that strength, but you empowered me. Yeah, no. Because I thought if he can do that, I can do my bit. And then and then as as you well know, you find you find people that are thinking the same. Yeah. No, but you meant so much to me, Steve. I appreciate the words, but Ronnie. I mean, I, I wasn't trying to do any anything special. I was just like, mate, you know, I'm I'm happy to die on this mountain because I think this is we're uh, speaking up about it. And I was hearing a lot of guys going, oh, <clears throat> oh we're the same guys. You know, we, we're doing the same. We believe the same as you, but we're just uh, closing all the windows and all the doors and then we're yes. rolling. Well, well, that's good for, for, for nothing, guys. I, 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 I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, and, and, and other guys saying, oh, everybody's talking, everybody's talking. Well, it doesn't help anything if everyone's talking in the toilets. Yeah. You know, it's not helping anyone if everyone's hiding it behind closed doors. And we've got to put it out there and let people know that there is a, a, a high percentage of the community 
doing the equations and coming up short on what they're selling us over the mainstream news, you know. <clears throat> and as it's gone on, it's got there's more, you know, a higher percentage of people waking up to this nonsense, you yes. know. They've opened, they've, there's, there's an elephant awaking, isn't there? Tell me, and you also run a competition right through New Zealand, which is absolutely wonderful. Um, I so look forward. I don't compete. I don't do jiu-jitsu, but I love the atmosphere. I love the kids competing. I love watching the adults competing. And you wouldn't run that competition if you had to have a vaccine pass. You wouldn't run no, it. No, we didn't. We shut it down. And I never... I'd be honest, there was there was days where I thought it was over, you know, and I, mate, every, what we do with the tournaments, we've just brought it up from the ground up because there was a need in New Zealand and there was no tournaments at the time. So I just, I just thought about my guys and, and that people need to be inspired. They need a reason to train. I mean, training for a hobby is one thing, but training for a goal that, you know, at the end of that, t- at that time period, you're going to actually meet in combat puts another, sense of urgency on your training. So, you know, that's how we started. We just started the tournaments to try and motivate our guys to keep training. So, and it just grew into something that's uh, I'm proud of, you know, it's uh, nationwide. Very, proud to be very proud. It's, huge, uh, and it's a huge, guys. huge organisation. The number of people, the refs, the people yeah. that are telling it, it's huge. And yeah. then you just were prepared to burn that to the ground. Well, we've done 12, we do 12 tournaments a year. Just, it was timely. We just done our first international tournament. It was in Oceania's. Uh, in 2020, it was the week before they announced the lockdown. It was just, we just scratched in, mate. If I didn't get that wow. through, I gone bankrupt. it would have put me under. But a week before the lockdown, we got this tournament through and we had 1,500 athletes. 1,500 wow. athletes over two days. Massive tournament. You know, I mean, every athlete brings in maybe uh, two to three spectators. Yeah. You know, so you're talking, you know, four and a half, five thousand people through the door. And uh, over the weekend, so it was really turning into something that we were excited about. And then all of a sudden, boom, lockdown. <coughs> and, uh, you know, it was just going to be, uh, you know, three days to flatten the curve, you know, for the first year. But then after that, I just started having doubts. I just really thought, man, you know, and, and what I've always done is I, you know, I'd be honest, the first, we've been doing it about 12, 13 years. The first five years, I was losing money. 90% of the time, but I was in a situation with a gym where I didn't have a lease, where it was on the family family land in, Auckland, in West Auckland, so I could subsidise the tournament. Wow. But, uh, you know, it wasn't to that point then, you know, because we'd moved into a lease. So uh, we just got, yeah, we thought that potentially this thing's done, you know what I mean? And I've always reinvested. I, you know, if we make uh, $5, I'll reinvest potentially yes. the whole Half well, you've got those beautiful, beautiful mats. You've got all yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, we reinvest. We try and make it a better experience for the for the customer each time and, you know, try and make it an easier experience so more people. We do world-class medals for the kids and adults. We try and keep the kids' price down. I mean, we keep we keep the price down. I mean, you go anywhere. You go to Australia, you're paying over $100. Mm. $100 for registration. We're down, we, you know, $70, $50 something for a kid. You know, we're half price of any other country, mate. And I don't want to put that price up. Even now we're scratching hard trying to get, you know, uh, businesses to partner up with the with the organisation so we can just take the pressure off the registration price because we don't want – because we know people haven't got money. And, and, and mum and dad sometimes got two, three kids. 
Yeah. And uh, the price of gas is through the roof and flights and everything. So it's getting tough for mum and dad to to make the trip. You know more than I anyone. I know that. And also time. Yeah, time. So Tell you know, me, Steve, if you go back to this court case, I know you're not applying it to you, but you've got lawyers involved that are running it for you. You just keep your head away from it. It's there. Um, the prospect is that you could be found guilty. If you're found guilty of whatever madness it is, staying open and having a gym um, where everyone enjoyed themselves and maintained their sense of well-being, if you're convicted, could they fine you or jail you? Well, you know, I just, I, I'm just dead set against the whole principle. You know, I'm a community-based gym. I, I've you know, they can bring up how much money they've supplied me over the years, over my dad, over even my three generations, we haven't got $1 through council support, you know, and we've we've been supporting community for over 80 years. You know what I mean? So they can find me. I just don't believe in the whole principle. I'm not paying it. You can jail me. Jail me. Put me in jail. I'll make you do it. I'll, I'll You'll go. You'll go to jail? Hey? You'd go to jail? Yeah, I'm happy to go to jail. On principle, good on you. Well, I'm not going to fucking enjoy it, but I tell you what, the uh, jiu-jitsu program will go to a next level. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, mate, I, I just really str- strongly believe that you guys are taking money. You're going to find me. You're going to take it, take money off a community-based project. You know, because all this money is just—it's not, mate. I'm not driving around in a, in, no, in a, no, in no. a Tesla. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, take, find me. I'm not paying. And uh, put me in jail. It's going, to be, it's going to be a big case, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. I mean, media will try and disappear it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny how media has got the power. It's not a mainstream media. Basically, it's, it doesn't, it's not happening. It doesn't exist. Doesn't exist, mate. You know, there's it's interesting, isn't it? That everyone, no one rates the media, and yet you absorb it, yeah. and it becomes your talking point, your discussion point, the way you see the world, and it has this amazing effect on people in the background. You know, who's good, who's bad, who's done right, who's done wrong, um, what I should be scared of, yeah. and they run these stories. Fair uh, campaigns, that's what it is. Yes. Fair what's next? You know, it's, yes. It's just what is, Well, the thing, the thing about what's next is this. We've got Reality Check Radio. Yeah. So that's great. We, we're going to have a community. You and I know that there's a lot of other uh, media, private media type people when we're talking. We've found our group. Um, I've found you. I look to you. I found Voices for Freedom. I look to them. I found people in my community, in my town that I respect and I value. They're not going to find me unprepared and all alone next time they try some trick. The government government isn't going to be able to do to my health and mental outlook what they were able to do overnight with those lockdowns. It was an interesting time and it was a... I believe it was a blessing. Uh, in, it uh, was in a blessing. Times. I mean, we definitely found out what side of the fence a lot of our friends are on. Yes, and people uh, like you yeah. rose to the occasion. And also, um, you know, 
I've often struggled to understand when you look at history and you think, how could that madness happen? And then you see this madness happening. And then you say to yourself, I wonder if I'd be the person that would go along with the madness just to be with the group, or would I be the person that would say no? And I found out that I was the person that would say no. I didn't find out that I was a person like you that would stand up so publicly and 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 attract all the vitriol. And here's the amazing thing. that All that vitriol was going on to you. I didn't know you. But I was on the sidelines cheering you on. I was inspired. I was thinking, Steve Oliver, that's the man. I didn't know you. But I just... It, and you don't realize, right, what the power that is. It's, it's like you're saying, it's not talking in the toilet. You were out there saying it, what I felt. And I thought, there's a man. And I looked at all those cowards in Parliament that I used to know. Yeah. And I think, what? I just despise every one of them because the inhumanity of what was done. And out of that inhumanity, I saw true humanity. Yeah. where people would look after each other, where people would speak their truth. And the great thing is with Reality Check Radio, we're not going to be shut down ever again. Uh, well, uh, Steve, um, I'm going to put out a little promo later about anyone that wants to help you how they can. I um, ask anyone that's listening that's got children or grandchildren to uh, look to getting your kids involved in a, in a jiu-jitsu program if it's it'll change their lives like it's changed my kids' lives, they're so much better able to handle the world yeah. around them. And I, I, sorry, just gives them tools, you know, as far tools. as dealing with life. You know, oh. and just putting one one foot in front of the other is huge. You know, yes. Uh, this... I mean, half the problem with it, you know, we've got an epidemic of of suicide out there. Yes. But the problem is, all these kids have grown up all receiving a medal for participation and thought that, yes. was, that was okay. Yes. Mate, there's, the reality of life is uh, there's always going to be a winner and there's always going to be a loser. Yes. And it's not always the end of, it's not the end of the world if you're no. a loser because you get, no. you, you're able to assess the situation, your performance, plug holes, you know, see what went wrong, fix it, and move on better for the experience. People these days think that their loss, it's, it's over. My life's over. It's done. Oh. And, and you know, I, look, you got me on a hot topic for me. But, you know, because you look at the school and it's a university and it's all about safe spaces and you triggered me. Climate change today. We're and, just a, oh, yeah. And, yeah. and it was offensive. And then you see two kids walking onto a mat to fight. Yeah. Right? And um, that is very, very confronting. So there's no safe space on a jiu-jitsu mat. <laughs> All right, and no one's going to come along and rescue you. You're absolutely thrown back on your own resources. Funnily enough, uh, you're not going to get hurt because you've got very, very good ref, refs, and I've got to commend you on that because you go to some of the other uh, competitions that are put on and they can, the refs cannot be up, not up to scratch and, and it's not as safe for the kids. But your, your competition is amazing. But the thing is, you notice with your kids – they don't learn much when they win, but they learn when they lose because yeah. they go back and they think something I did didn't work yeah. and they're motivated because it's sort of a personal thing. And that you've created a culture, Steve, where, yeah, you lost, 
You didn't get a medal. Um, you had a lot of fun. Next time, yeah, you're not going to die. Well, I got you know I've got my daughter. She, you know, like I've uh, got three older kids. My boys are 34. My daughter just turned 25 yesterday. So I've got three older kids. So I've had a uh, one rotation on, on the kids to see how not to do it. And I was I was motivated. I was uh, I was an athlete at the time when I was growing up. You know, with those kids. And winning meant a lot to me. So I did, you know, project that onto my kids, you know, not to the degree that you see some parents these days, but I did. I, I, I pushed the kids, you know what I mean? And, it, and, it, and in my environment growing up, it was never a fun environment. It was always, no. you know, uh, training no. was serious. Yeah, training was serious. It was survival. I went overseas and knew nobody. And uh, you go thrown into a viable, uh, a, a, um, you know, into a, a, a culture of sink or swim, die, you know, survive or die, you know what I mean? And uh, I'll be honest, it's been a hard one for me to come back and, and open a gym and, and try and keep things fun for for, for, for people, mm. you know. I, and you've got to try and step away from the, 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 the uh, you know, survive or die mindset and make it fun. And, and, and But these days, I'm, you know, I still struggle a little bit, I'll be honest. But I, I try and keep it real fun for the kids. And my daughter, she's just turned six. Uh, she's the old, uh, uh, you know, she's one of the oldest of the, the new crew. And uh, she's six. She's probably, because, uh, you know, I can, we, we're at all the tournaments, 12 tournaments a year. So she comes around and these kids are able to compete at most tournaments. So she gets thrown in. But I tell you what, she probably loses more than she wins right now. Yes. But... What we do is we just make it like, man, and, and, and you know, with this, uh, you have to go again. You know, it's not just uh, no. fight, you lose. It's a, you, you, you have to fight a couple of times just to try and get these kids some experience. So sometimes she has to fight the same kid twice. She's been bulldozed, just a just down price shoot. She got absolutely bulldozed and tapped out quite hard, you know. And then she was in tears. She was distraught. But I just uh, was able to calm her down, get her breathing, and then I said, okay, let's go again. And the same thing happened again, but she gave it a hell of a go on the second go and really fought hard. And, and you know, we stopped it early on the second time because we knew she'd already been exposed to it. Quite a tough, tough loss. But, mate, she got up and then, she, you know, we, bought it, we went out for dinner afterwards and make a big deal and she's stoked. And then she goes again in Wellington. Same thing happened in Wellington. It wasn't such a, a big loss. And then she fought just like an absolute savage, you know, just in there having a go trying her best, still lost. But, man, she's excited to compete next weekend. So, you know, I, to be honest, I'd rather that, you know, just that, just that resolve and, and just, uh, being, you know, uh, being able to come back, you know, having that. Isn't that, a, that is absolutely the truth. I'd rather have that than the wins. Yes. Right and, and to watch your kid get up, dust themselves off, um, and 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 they can have a wee cry because it's so emotional. Yes. Um, and then I mean I love I, I've watched like the kids that are sixteen and seventeen and eighteen that are at those comps that had been doing it for ten years. And my little boy who's now eight, he idolizes these older boys, yep. and they're such beautiful role models. Yep. They yep. are beautiful, and you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. They're wonderful role models. And yep. and that's again um, what you've done. And I mean, what we do know, Steve, is particularly our boys. They're being brought up 
that being a man and being masculine and being chivalrous and a gentleman yeah. is somehow toxic. Yes. And they learned to, I don't want to use the word weak, but it is that sort of effeminate female side of them has come out and they're not learning to stand up for themselves and their wives and kids. And I think that's been a terrible thing because what we've learned through this little thing is we actually all need to step up for each other and for our families and kids. And that requires a lot of confidence. And that's what you give them through what you do. And, and I, 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 I don't know what else I'd do for my kids because I know what they're learning at school isn't, you use the word toughen up, but you know what I mean, that resilience in your head, that you can take a problem, that you can take some shit in your life, that you can take a knock and you don't go running off to mum and crying about it. You you shake yourself up, you stand up and you say, okay, I've learned a lesson here and I'm going to do better. But we're not allowed to learn those lessons as kids anymore. And what a hell of a thing. I mean, for, for me personally, it's an honour to be a man, you know? Absolutely. To be, to be in a place uh, of being the protector of the family, uh, yes. a, a leader in society and, and, and uh, you know. Absolutely. But with, and to with look, great, after, great, look after your wife and your kids. Yeah, and being uh, physical enough to be able to do that, you know. Yes. It's an honour for me. You know, yes. but, uh, you know, we just we're losing that in society. You know, everybody's yes. a victim. That's the way to get the most likes on your on your posts is to be yes. a victim. You yeah. know, what a hell of a and- thing to be a victim. It's not my fault. And this is what we're fighting. I mean, honestly, the biggest mindset that we battle in society and in the martial arts and everything is uh, it's easy to blame someone else. That's the right. A champion will take it on the chin and say, because I see it all the time. I see people projecting their disappointment on not on in, on the on their competitor, on their gym. Oh, the gym hours don't suit me. It's not good enough. Or the, the coach isn't good enough. Oh, yeah. I've got to go somewhere else. So, the ref. Yeah, the ref. It's the ref's fault, abusing the ref. It's all projection of their, their own disappointment, which they should take yeah. on the chip. Why did you lose? Because yeah. I let someone put an arm around my neck, potentially. Yeah. You know what I mean? So go back. I see guys... Mate, for years they do the same mistake because they're projecting their disappointment on somebody else and they're not taking the, the lesson. That's the key. That's the key. Special responsibility. I was to look at what happened, assess the situation, learn, and then move forward. But this mm. culture of being a victim, you just project your disappointment. It's not my fault. It's the bloody, uh, you know, colonization or whatever you want to blame. Yeah, you pick but, a, but these a, days, in this, in this woke world that we live in, Steve, uh, Prince Harry is a victim. Can you imagine yeah. anything more stupid? <laughs> hey, Steve, we've got to wrap it up. I'm looking forward to see you in the comp in April. We'll be there with boots on. You do a wonderful job. Thank you for inspiring us. Thank you for your talk today. You're my very first pick for my very first interview. And, um, I, I, I admire you and I love you and you lift me up and I thank you for that. I appreciate your kind words, man, and you know, I mean, Voices are for Freedom. You guys are all part of the big picture here, you know, is getting yeah. the truth out there, just getting open debate. You know, Open debate. Open debate. Let's talk about it. You know, you want to follow the science. Well, let's have two sides of the story. You know, let's yeah. have a true debate. But no one wants to let the – no one lets the, the other narrative in the, in, the, in the building because they're scared of being exposed. This is what we're mm. talking about. 
Mm. You know what I mean? So, uh, no, just thanks for having us on the show. Okay, Steve. I, I, hope, I hope you'll come back and join with me again. You take care, brother. See you shortly. Thanks, guys. Take care. That was Steve Oliver from Oliver MMA, an amazing man. I'm very, feel very fortunate that I can call him a friend, and I admire him so greatly for what he's done. He inspires me. He inspired me when he kept his gym open, and he inspires me every day. And, and like I said in the interview, my kids do jujitsu. They love it. I love it. Uh, we love the competitions that uh, Steve puts on. We've been to his gym. It's a fantastic place. And if you've got children, if you've got grandchildren, I would love you to take them along to jiu-jitsu for a tryout because I think it's a great way for kids to work off steam, to develop themselves physically, to build resilience. And it's the most amazing sport because it's for everyone. And it's especially for those kids and those adults that aren't particularly sporty. That's why it's such a great sport. Steve Oliver is a very proud man, and um, he didn't ask us to do this, but uh, we insisted. I'm sure there are people that want to help. Uh, if you do want to help, we'll set up a, a way for you to help and a, and a, give a little page or something. It'll be at the bottom of the blog post uh, on the replay. Um, Steve's doing this for all of us. And so if you can contribute a few dollars, uh, please do. Um, <clears throat> it means more than the money even. But uh, Steve needs help. Thank you for that, everyone. What I want to achieve with RCR is conversation. And I think we have lost the art of conversation. With RCR, I just hope that people can learn that we can all be different, we can have our own opinions, have our own views, and have those conversations in a respectful way, because respect needs to be given, it needs to be earned, and I think that we can prove that people of all diverse perspectives, ages, opinions, can have a platform, and we can work and talk together, and so that's what I hope we get to achieve with RCR. Just independent thought, alternative thought, and I, I expect that I will be castigated by many people for offering different opinions but you know as I've said before there is no such thing as a wrong opinion opinions are like noses everybody's got one the exchange of views fair debate no cancelling no interrupting no aggressive responses we want to hear what people have to say whatever side you're on and the listener the consumer with that information, can make of it what they will. That is the mission. It's a good mission.